Now, my subject this morning is a better way to live. You may have started your Christian life with joy and peace. Most of us do. But then somehow your attempts to live out the Christian life becomes very frustrating. And the more you try to please God, the more you have felt failure. And you soon discover that Christianity seems more about performing to get right and to stay right with God. And probably you have felt there's got to be a better way. There's got to be a better way to go through this life. In Galatians 5, 22 and 23, the Bible says, But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, forbearance, kindness, goodness, and faithfulness. Gentleness and self-control. Against such things, there is no law. Now, did you believe when you became a Christian that this would be you, that you would have all these attributes, that you would be kind and gentle, self-control, loving, and all these things? And did you think that you could actually muster up enough spiritual strength I mean, with God's help, of course, but with you and God, that this, you could accomplish this. You could be a Christian full of joy, full of peace, perfect harmony. Well, if you thought that, your mind has probably changed. These attributes in Galatians are birthed. I want to repeat that. These, these attributes are birthed in you when you are resting and trusting in the Lord Jesus Christ. Many Christians are tired of the double talk that we hear today. They're sick and tired of trying to please others. And some are even tired of trying to please the church. And they're ready to give up, and a lot of people have. Their minds tell themselves, there has to be a better way to live than this, this experience that they're going through. In my years of evangelism, I suppose I've talked to thousands of people who have, for, for one reason or another, they wanted to get away from religion. Some of them were raised in it. Some of them had a wonderful conversion story. But as they went along, they just wanted to get away from it. Life seemed to be better if they were away from it than if they're dealing with all this guilt, all this frustrations that they're going through. And I'm telling you here this morning, there is a better way. And it's recorded in the book of Hebrews. Here we go into Hebrews 8.6. But in fact, the ministry that Jesus had received is a superior to theirs 
meaning those in the Old Testament, as the covenant of which he is the, he is the mediator, is superior to the old one, since the new covenant is established on better promises. And then Hebrews 9. For this reason, Christ is the mediator of a new covenant, that those who are called may receive the promise, eternal inheritance, now that he has died as a ransom to set them free from the sins committed under the first covenant. Now here in Hebrews, we discover something. But God found fault with the people and said, the days are coming, declared the Lord, when I will make a new covenant with the people of Israel and with the people of Judah. He says he found fault with the people. It wasn't the law that he found fault with. It was the people. And then he says, it, was not, it will not be like the covenant that I made with their ancestors when I took them by the hand to lead them out of Egypt because they did not remain faithful to my covenant, and I turned away from them, declared the Lord. Now that's some pretty serious stuff. The new covenant was to solve a very serious problem. Our failure to remain faithful. The new covenant was established to help us understand why we are not faithful. We want to be, but we're not. The new covenant was to cause God's people to remain faithful even though they were not acting faithful. The new covenant is, you hear this time and time again when Jesus says in Corinthians, I, I will not hold their sins against them. So here is a covenant that was made so that we could remain faithful and where in our own strength we fail, it's perfectly all right with God. I, don't, I know that people don't like to hear that when I say it's perfectly all right with God because God does not want anyone to sin. But he knows your heart. He knows what you're going through. He understands everything about you. He knows the thoughts that go through your mind. And so he's given to us a new covenant. And what makes the difference in this new covenant that is not taught very much? That the writer of Hebrews is not talking about the law of Moses. He's not talking about the Ten Commandments. But he's talking about the laws of Jesus. He says, this is a covenant that I will establish when the people of Israel after this time, declares the Lord. I will put my laws in their mind and write them on their hearts and I will be their God and they will be my people. He says he will write those laws. Those laws are the laws of Jesus. It's not Moses. It's not the Ten Commandments. It is recorded in Luke. He answered, Love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your strength and with all your might and love your neighbor as yourself. I like the way that James talks about the royal law. 
If you really keep the royal law found in Scripture, love your neighbor as yourself, you are doing right. Here it is. It's plain and simple. So what was the purpose of the law? Paul says that it is for unbelievers. In the Old Testament, the law was for the Jews. And now it's for the unbelievers. In Romans 3, 19, it says, Now we know that whatever the law says, it says to those who are under the law, so that every mouth may be silent and the whole world held accountable to God. Now verse 20, Therefore no one will be declared righteous in God's sight by the works of the law. Rather, through the law, we become conscious of our sin. And then in Galatians, before the coming of, their faith, of this faith, we were held in custody under the law, locked up until the faith that was to come would be revealed. So the law was not, was our guardian. So the law was our guardian until Christ came, that we might be justified by faith. Now, the truth is that we are Gentiles, and we were never under the law. It was, the law was for the Jews, not for us. But we put ourselves under the law, and that's what's happened in the Christian church today. They have put themselves under the law. How? In wanting to please God through self-effort. Now, if there's any good reason, that would be it. They wanted to please God. They just didn't understand that they're already pleasing to God. When you accept Jesus Christ as your personal Savior, you are everything that God wants you to be. And you are pleasing to him. Oh, you're not doing everything right. No, that's not, that's, not, that's not it at all. But you are pleasing to him because you've asked him to come into your life. And here we are this morning. Born again believers, all of us. But we may be struggling. And we may have our own doubts. You've accepted Jesus Christ as your personal Savior. No question. You believe that Christ lives in you. Maybe you're not quite sure how that takes place, but you believe it. You've heard it many, many times. Christ in you, the hope of glory. So you believe it, and you believe that you'll spend eternity in heaven. You're quite sure that. But there's still this struggle of belief in some areas. And one of the greatest, biggest signs of a struggle is with this whole theology of forgiveness. You believe that you are forgiven for your past sins. But however, you may still be convinced that you have to keep confessing your sins to keep up with your sins. You feel this way because you want to be right and you feel that that makes you right. 
Now, if you have been taught all your life that the way to, forgive, to forgiveness is confession, and if you have a Catholic background, a confessional booth, then it's going to be difficult. If you believe that altar calls, coming forward, um, rededicating your life, yes, you're going to have somewhat of a difficult time with believing that you're already forgiven. Neither our faith nor our confession of sin creates forgiveness. The only thing that causes forgiveness is the blood. And 2,000 years ago when Jesus Christ was crucified on the cross, he paid the penalty for all sin, past, present, and future sin. Your sins are forgiven whether you confess them or not. Now, I've spent a couple of sermons and explaining 1 John 1, 9. If you confess your sins, he's faithful and just to forgive your sins. And we hang our hat on that scripture. And we know, as we've studied that scripture, that John was speaking to the Gnostics who believed that they had never sinned. And they did not believe in the physicalness of Jesus Christ. And so John was telling them, you got it all wrong. No, Jesus Christ is real. He died on the cross for our sins. And if you confess your sins, he is faithful and just to forgive you and to cleanse you. And sometimes we associate cleansing with either coming forward in an altar call or we, we do it through confession. It takes us a while to understand and to realize, why am I constantly asking for what I already have? What causes me to go through, through that? It's like a hamster in a cage. When we see Christ's finished work, we can rest in the fact that Jesus died for our sins once for all. There is nothing left for us to improve on. There's nothing that we can do to get new additional forgiveness. You see, through forgiveness, we witness what grace in Jesus Christ is all about. And that changes the that changes our life. That changes the way we live. Now, I want you to see exactly how this works. And so we're going to go to Peter, 2 Peter. 2 Peter, going through 1 through 9. Simon Peter, a servant and the apostle of Jesus Christ, to those who through the righteousness of our God and Savior Jesus Christ have received a faith as precious as as ours. Now here is the Apostle Peter who walked with Christ and now he's talking to these believers and he's tell, telling them something about a righteousness that is theirs. In other words, there's something that happens to us when we accept Jesus Christ as our Savior 
and we understand what he has done for us. We recognize it when it comes to us from the heart. That's why I open with that text in Ezekiel. The promise is that when you receive Jesus Christ as your personal Savior, that Christ would take that heart, that flesh heart, he's going to take it out and he's going to, that stony heart, and he's going to give you a heart of flesh and he's going to infuse that heart with the Holy Spirit. And you have a perfect heart. You have a new heart. It's perfect. Now, you don't act perfect, but your heart is perfect. And that's why in 1 John, the Bible says that you will not sin. Because you will not sin from your heart. You'll sin from the flesh. You'll sin from the power that is the power of sin that dwells in you. So why is forgiveness so important? Because true confession is agreeing with God about sin. It's no good. It's not you. You are dead to sin. So it's not you. You are alive to Christ. You have a new heart. You have been made alive. And you are dead to sin. Peter is saying that you have received a precious faith. Now you have already received it. You have received a precious faith that has to do with righteousness, rightness. You are right before God. You have a righteous heart. Now, we recognize it because it comes from our heart. We live from our heart. We give from our heart. We don't give because the Bible says to do this or to do that. We give from our heart. We, we live we live from our heart. And when we live from our heart, we start acting out grace upon grace upon grace upon grace. The more we learn of Jesus Christ, the more we act out grace. Grace, unmerited favor. What does that mean? It means that we have peace. Grace and peace be yours in abundance through the knowledge of God and of Jesus our Lord. Notice verse 3. His divine power has given us everything we need for godly life through our knowledge of him who called us by his own glory and goodness. Now, here the Bible says that we, will, will, we will receive true knowledge of him, but it's understanding that we have everything that we need right now. Everything we need to give to live a godly life is ours right this moment, right now. Now, I know that sometimes that's hard for us to believe, but the Bible clearly plain says that we have everything that we need and it's all in Christ and Christ lives in you. 
So you have it all. We, can, we don't have to go on to, to, from one experience to the other experience. No, we have it right now. So what would give you more peace? I need more of Jesus. That's what you hear in so many churches today. I need more of Jesus. I need more of the Holy Spirit. I need this. Fall on me. Fall on this, on this sanctuary. Fall. That is not the gospel. So what would you rather have? I need more of Jesus or I have everything I need? Because you do. You have everything you need. Then the Bible says, through these he has given us his very great and precious promises so that through them you may participate in the divine nature, having escaped the corruption in the world caused by evil desires. Now it's easy to read that text. And we can read it over and over and over again. But what would it be like if I went and told somebody that I am a participant in the divine nature of God? Well, they would think that I was come to the end of myself, I guess. But that's what the Bible says. So that you may participate. I like that King James says that you are a partaker of of his divine nature, having escaped the corruption in the world caused by evil desires. Wow. That's amazing that we are partakers of his divine nature. What our focus should be is how awesome of a God we serve. What he has done for us. He has not only saved us. He has asked us to be a partaker of his divine nature. And that's why in Ephesians where he says that he has sealed us unto the day of redemption means so much. It means so much. We are partakers of his divine nature. Then the Bible says, for this very reason, make every effort to add to your faith goodness and to goodness knowledge. I want you to see what Peter has done here. Peter waits, and Paul does the same thing in his writings. But Peter waits until you understand that you are complete in Christ. He wants you to know that you are cleansed, he wants you to know that he has given you everything you need for godliness. And now he begins to say, walk in it. Just walk in it. That's all you have to do. And for this very reason, make every effort to add to your faith goodness and to goodness knowledge. And to knowledge self-control and to self-control perseverance and to perseverance godliness and to godliness, mutual affection, and to the mutual affection, love. Now, where do we get this from? We get this from God. 
Now, I know that achievers, and I was one for many, many years, I know that us achievers, we want to copy all that stuff down and make a list, and then we want to figure out how we can accomplish all that. And so maybe we'll say, okay, this week I'll work on self-control. And then next week I'll work on godliness. Well, who gives godliness? This may be a surprise, God. God gives us godliness. God gives us all of these things. We don't manufacture them. We don't practice them. It is a part of us. Christ living in us. Now, you get godliness from God. It's just that simple. In verse 8, it says, For if you process these qualities in increasing measure, they will keep you from being ineffective and unproductive in your knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. This text is simply saying, you believe this, you're going to be productive. That's all it's saying. You'll be productive. Now, no one attains all of this stuff, all these things in a single stroke. You're not born again and all of a sudden you've accomplished everything. No, there's a growth period. And we're growing in Christ. We can be assured that the grace and peace is multiplied as we know Jesus Christ. Increasing measure. It's multiplying as the more that we know Jesus Christ, the more that we understand what he has done for us, it begins to multiply. And then it comes back to grace upon grace upon grace. We are a hundred percent righteous. We are a hundred percent cleansed. We are a hundred percent blameless. We have everything that we need to live a godly life. We, have, we are in a state of forgiveness. We are forgiven whether we confess it or not. We live in a state of, confess, uh, of forgiveness. The reason that we fall into this about confession is the way we were brought up. Our confession now is simply agreeing with God over the sin. And thanking him and praising him that 2,000 years ago, he took care of that sin problem. That sin issue is now over. He took care of it. Too many of us have been preoccupied with the things that God has finished dealing with. And we get occupied with all this stuff. We go over it and over it and over it again. And what does Peter say? So I will always remind you of these things, even though you know them and are firmly established in the truth you now have. 
So you are established in the truth. But Peter says, I will remind you. And that's why we come to church. We come to church to be reminded what Jesus Christ has done for us. And over and over and over again, we need to be that reminded. Because the key, the, this whole key thing in verse 9, but whosoever does not have them is nearsighted and blind, forgetting that they have been cleansed from their past sins. Here is the key. This is the key. If there ever was one, this is it. Is forgetting. We forget that we are cleansed. We forget that we are righteous. We forget that we have been forgiven. Not will be forgiven. Have been forgiven. We have been forgiven for all of our sins. Now, it causes you to do something. He says here in verse 13, I think it is right to refresh. I think it is right to refresh your memory as long as I live in the tent of this body. In 14 it says here, or 15, excuse me, because I know that I will soon put it aside as our Lord Jesus Christ has made clear to me. In other words, Peter is going to die, and he knows it. And he says in 15, And I will make every effort to see that after my departure, you will always be able to remember these things. The gospel, it's, in, it's all about forgiveness. It's about Christ on the cross. It's about the resurrection. And too many of us are living before the cross. We're still looking up to the cross. And we haven't graduated to Sunday. We haven't graduated to the resurrection. Because the resurrection tells us he's alive. It gives us indications that we are alive because we are in Christ. Now, our message this morning is, don't ever lose sight of what you already have. Don't lose sight of that. You have everything that you need to live a godly life. Don't lose sight of that. Another lesson we learn, grace and peace is multiplied as we get to know Jesus Christ. So some of us, maybe we're having a little difficult time with all this grace business. But the more that we understand what Jesus Christ did for us, to us, and now he's living through us, it'll be, big, it'll be more of grace upon grace upon grace. Knowing Jesus Christ, it multiplies. That's the key of the, of the whole scripture. The more you know of Jesus, the more you know of the truth, the more content that you will be, the more peace that you will have, and you will live a better life, a much better life. Shall we pray? Our Heavenly Father, we thank you and praise you
for all that you have done and are doing. We're thankful for this, this wonderful message of forgiveness in this wonderful message that we have everything that we need to live out the Christian life. We're thankful, Lord, that our search is over. We've found what we've been looking for all of our lives. We thank you for that new heart that you put into us. We're thankful for all the blessings that you bless us with on a daily basis. Now I pray that you help us to grow in your grace, to, to learn more about you and learn to love you even more. Bless us to this end. I pray in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen.